Welcome to Playing Big, a podcast about what it means to play big in life and in business, and about changing the world with big ideas and big action. I'm your host, Blaine Fyan, Chief Evangelist here at True Footage, and I'd like to welcome each and every one of you to Playing Big. As you well know, we live in an increasingly digital world. You can't pick up an article or watch a news story these days without some mention about how technology digitization, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the speed of advancement in all of those areas is having some kind of effect on our daily lives. As appraisers, of course, we see it in a variety of areas within our own industry and our daily work life. We see it in the real estate and mortgage industries and how they are going increasingly digital from the application process. I mean, look at Rocket Mortgage. You can go online and you can fill out an application for half million dollars in mortgage money. So from the from the application process to the final signatures on closing day, you can essentially sign all of your docs digitally via some signature app, and you can even do it from the comfort of your bedroom if you so choose. Not in all cases, of course, but the pandemic proved very motivating for innovation in some of those areas. Mobile transaction closers, of course, have been around for a while now, but closing transactions in a parking lot through car windows was a whole new thing. And again, the pandemic kind of spurred that whole process. Selling and buying houses virtually, virtually sight unseen, became a real thing during the pandemic as people were encouraged to whip out a smartphone and participate in a digital walkthrough of a prospective purchase. Many times from many states away. I mean, as appraisers, we were doing essentially FaceTime walkthroughs in some cases where the homeowner might grab your phone from the outside and then walk through with FaceTime or you'd FaceTime with them on their phone and do a a site visit, so to speak, that way. In essence, for the past year or two, people have been unwittingly, albeit with their permission, beta testing how to get things done with the fewest amount of humans in the process and with the greatest amount of technology Involved. In essence, the use of apps on our smartphones and computers are enabling a whole new way of getting things done. I mean, we've talked many times on this podcast about how the introduction of the iPhone back in 2007 ultimately changed the world forever. No need to go into the multitude of ways that it's done that. You all know it. You're probably holding a phone now. You're listening likely to this show on a smartphone, and it would take too long to go into all the ways that the world has changed with the advent of the iPhone. We all find ourselves using dozens of apps on a daily basis to get real work done. Of course, we use it to get non-work stuff done. I mean, I watch Netflix on my phone sometimes when I'm making dinner. But we can also get real work done. The more tech-enabled appraisers, of course, are using mobile apps for the site visit, for sketching, the data gathering process, the comp selection process right on site, uploading the file to the cloud from the driveway of the subject to their staff somewhere else, and in some cases making revisions to reports from the field. And personally, I've told you this before, I'm a little bit of a tech file, techophile. I love it. I love tech. I love the tools that evolve out of it and because of it. I love the efficiencies that are often created by technology advancements and applications and the way it can change work for the better. Does it change it for the better in all ways? No. Has technology been the great? No. I mean, there's definitely some things about technology and social media and all that I absolutely hate. 
but there are many things that I love about it. And it is debatable whether or not it's changed it for the better and always, depending on the topic and the industry that we are referring to. It also depends on who you're asking. If you ask the customers and the clients of a particular product or service, you might get a different answer than if you ask the users and the workers in the industry providing that product or service. Sometimes the tech, the software, and the apps make life better in some way. Sometimes you want just a human, essentially, to solve your problem, and there isn't one to be seen for miles around. We've all been there. Nevertheless, it's the world we live in. And lest we devolve into a Mad Max-like apocalyptic world in the next 10 years, we are never going back to the way things were before the smartphone, before technology, before software, and before the apps. That's the Python of progress I've talked about in prior episodes. Now, today's episode, like many of the episodes that I put out, is more meant to give you something to ponder than it is a set of steps to follow to accomplish something. Sometimes in episodes, I'll give you, you know, these are the five steps. These are the 10 steps you need to do to get something done. These are the KPIs. These are the this is and the that's. Nope. In this one, I'm just, I want to give you some things to think about. As we talk about technology, about apps, about software, and all that comes with that discussion, We've got to get familiar with a couple of terms that are often used in those discussions. Now, if I throw out the words like code or coder or coding, you all likely know what I'm referring to. That's I'm spelling that C-O-D-E, not code. Code, coder, coding, C-O-D-I-N-G. Somebody who codes is a coder. You would know what I'm referring to. It is the stuff, the person in the process of writing code for those apps and for that software. Since the dawn of computers, code is the language of the computers used to accomplish tasks. If I throw out the letters UI, some of you might know, some of you might not right away what it stands for, but it stands for user interface. And sometimes you'll see it GUI or GUI, the graphical user interface. It's what the users of the software or the app see when they're using it. When we're on our smartphones, We are using the UI, the user interface. Now, there's another term often used in conjunction with terms like UI and code and software and apps, and it is the letters API. Now, you might be very familiar with apps and UI, the user interface, and the idea and the process of coding for the user interface, for the apps, for the software. But fewer will likely be familiar with the term API. Now, I was introduced to the term API many years ago when I was building some websites for some of my businesses using a platform called WordPress. Many of you listening will be familiar with WordPress. WordPress is probably one of the more common website builders, very robust website building platform. And with WordPress, you can download and attach Uh, what are called plugins or add-on programs and apps that will do certain functions for you either in the background or the foreground. They'll they'll work right on your website. And when you download these add-ons or these plugins and you attach them to your website, whether they're running on the front end of the website or the back end, sometimes you need what is called an API or an API key, which is a bit of numbered and lettered code that connects the API to your software and it more or less activates it. It makes it run. 
And for a long time, I had no idea what API meant. I didn't need to. I just knew that I had six or seven different API keys that I had to keep in a, 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 a software security uh, password memory thing for all the different apps. Every time I would build a new website and I would attach that particular plugin or, or app, I would have to pull out that API key and plug it in so that I could run that software for that particular website. And then over the years... I would see those letters API more and more, and I kind of knew what the API was, but I didn't really know. So eventually I started Googling what API meant and what it did. Now, without going too deep in this, this is not about software and apps and APIs per se, but I want you to understand because this is going to come into play a little, little bit later in the show. API stands for Application Programming Interface, and they are essentially bits of code that allow apps and programs to talk to other apps and programs or to servers that are located somewhere else. For example, if you're an Uber driver or you drive for Lyft, you download the Uber or the Lyft app on your smartphone, you sign in as a contract worker, and then you are eligible to get orders for rides. The API, the application program interface, you, you don't necessarily see it working, but the API talks between your phone and the servers back at Uber or Lyft HQ to connect you with a rider. It tells you how much the ride will pay you, where you have to pick them up, and it will even dictate exactly the route to take to get the rider to their destination. My son worked for a massive food and product distribution company for a period of time in one of their many warehouses. He had this high-tech headset. He had a handheld device, computer, whatever, and he had an API essentially telling him in a digital voice through his headset exactly which aisles to speed to next, exactly where on the shelf the product was, how high to raise the forklift, which pallets to pull down, and how much product to pull out of that bin and throw in his bin on his forklift. And he did that all day, every day, getting essentially rated by the API on how fast and how productive he was that day. And his pay and his bonuses were based on how he stacked up against the standards that were set for him. And those standards were based on all the data gathered through the software on how fast the fastest employee could pick the same product. Now, here's the point about the API. We live in an era where more and more tasks, and thus humans, are being controlled by an API. I mean, I just gave you an example of my son working at a warehouse. You can imagine that's how every Amazon warehouse works as well. All the people picking the product in the Amazon warehouses are being operated by the API. The API is the intelligence telling them where to go, what to do, what to pick, what to put in their bins. They are dictated to by some pieces of code on who's going to do it, what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, who they're going to do it for, and how much they'll be paid to do it. Now the API, remember it's just bits of code. The API has zero emotion about the whole deal. It's just code programmed by some other human. But what I want you to focus on with this episode is the image of the Uber driver, or maybe somebody like my son working in a high-tech warehouse who has very little autonomy over the who, the what, the where, when, the why, and the how of what they do. Why? Because the API, the application programming interface, dictates all of that. There are two worlds that exists in that image. One that lives above the API, as it's called, and then one that lives or exists 
below the API. And the world above the API is the world of the creators of the API, the coders, the thinkers, the managers and leaders, the suits, if you will. That's what the people in the warehouse call the people who work in the offices. Oh, those are the suits. And the world below the API are all the workers who just do the work based on what the API tells them to do. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not speaking qualitatively or, or judging either one of those groups. I'm just simply trying to paint a picture. I'm not saying one is better than the other. Or the people who operate below the API are less than those who operate above. No, that's for somebody else to decide. I'm just explaining so that you can start to see where this exists. Now, you might be asking, why is this important? Well, it's important to start becoming aware of this because it affects you. As the world changes and more and more things are controlled by software and APIs, the knowledge and worker gap widens as well. I have talked with literally hundreds of Uber drivers over the years. Maybe you have as well, because I am that guy who always starts a conversation within minutes of getting in the car. And it usually sounds something like this. Hey, how's it going, Jim? Because of course, you know, you see on the, the, the Uber app, your driver's name and what kind of car and what their license plate is. So I say, how's it going, Jim? He says something. Oh yeah. Well, how long have you been driving for Uber? Oh, well, that's cool. Do you enjoy it? And he says something. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Well, what's the most interesting person you've ever picked up? Or what's the most interesting story you have about a ride? And so on and so forth, the conversation will go. Now, what you tend to hear from the drivers is how they came to become an Uber driver, why they do it, and how being an Uber driver gives them, of course, flexibility. They can come and go as they please. They can work whenever they want. They can work for other companies. I mean, I, quite often we'll have uh, Uber drivers who pick us up that are also Lyft drivers. They got both signs in their car. They get to meet some interesting people from time to time. Very cool. The problem is that although all of those things might be true for them, or so they think, they are, maybe without knowing it, simply cogs in a big machine being driven by the API. The programming interface is the thing that tells them what to do and when and for how much. And if that Uber driver isn't the one picking you up, well, of course, there are 20 more that can be dis dispatched to you within minutes. There is nothing special about Jim. Now, of course, Jim can make himself special, right? There are different kinds of, some Uber drivers have, you know, water or soft drink. Some of them will decide or uh, choose uh, if they're going to play the radio. Some of them will actually ask you, what's your choice in uh, music or listening? You know, and they'll put that on the radio. Some of them have business cards. It's really nice. Some of them go all out. Others, mm, not a chance. Now, if I really like Jim, I have no way of requesting that Jim be the one who picks me up the next time I need a ride to the airport because the API does all of that work for me. Jim is just a cog in the machine and he will be paid accordingly. There is nothing wrong with Jim or his decision to be an Uber, Uber driver. That's not what I'm saying. Jim is fictitious, by the way. I'm sure there's a Jim out there that's an Uber driver. I'm not speaking about any particular Jim. He is a fictitious representation of anybody who is operating below the API. That's the term we need to remember. You either operate below the API or above the API. Below the API means you take your orders from the software. And when you operate and live below the API, there is no upward mobility below the API. And operating below the API guarantees, most likely, that over time, 
you will be paid less and less for what you do as time advances. Because the job of the coder, and the coder operates above the API, remember they're the ones who are writing the program interface, and the job of the coder, whether it's their specific job or the person above them, maybe the company owner or their boss, it's to make the API better and better at creating efficiencies. Their job is to make the app more efficient. And by the way, the coder who operates above the API, as well as all of their managers and supervisors and bosses, they are all paid way more than the people operating below the API. Why is that? Well, because those operating below the API are more easily replaceable. And in fact, in the Uber example, although this might be a while yet before it actually comes to fruition, there will come a day when your Uber driver is not a driver at all. It's the car itself. Uber, Tesla, Google, Rivian, and several others are all working feverishly on what? Driverless vehicles. What do you think the first industry will be to test that system? Well, you guessed it. The taxi cab and ride sharing industry. Why pay a driver when you can just monetize the vehicle and monetize the API? The ones making the money, of course, at that point will be the owners of the self-driving vehicles. I don't know if you know this or not, but this is a plan of Tesla's. Tesla owners will essentially sign up to let their self-driving car leave the garage when they're not using it, which is 70-some percent, it's like 78% of the time uh, a, a person owns a vehicle, they're not using it. So they can sign up to let their self-driving car leave the garage, and it will essentially go out into the world and answer calls via the API. It'll be picking up paying rides based on the program interface, based on the software, based on the app just like Uber. And the owner of the vehicle will split that revenue with the service, whether it's with Tesla or Uber or somebody else, and they will essentially turn their car into a revenue machine instead of just an expense. I think the last time I saw, they figured that the average Tesla that might participate in this could bring in about thirty to $35,000 in gross revenue off the vehicle. Now, of course, Uber and Lyft will have their own fleets by this time of self-driving vehicles in your town eventually, and they'll cash in too, all thanks to the API and progress. And of course, this is only one area and one industry. There are many industries that are going in this direction. Just looking at the appraisal industry, we might be able to say that APIs have infiltrated this industry as well. For those who work with, say, AMCs, appraisal management companies, your orders, your pay, few other aspects are most definitely dictated by the API. There might be a human at some level that decides, but it's all programmed in. And then the API decides where you're located and, um, you know, who gets the bid request, whose bid gets accepted, and to some degree, how that file is to be completed. And we know from using portals that scan the report for errors and underwriting quality hits that there's an API controlling that process as well. It's not a human looking at it. It's an API. It's, it's not a human scanning. It's software that's programmed to look for X, Y, and Z. And when it doesn't find those, it spits out a revision request or at least a suggestion to comment on something. This is the software in the API at work, and there's little we can do to escape it. Now, what I'm hoping to do with this episode is simply to bring some awareness around the growing gap between those who live and operate above the API and those who live and operate below 
the API. If you operate below the API, you will always make less than somebody operating above the API, the creators, we'll call them. If you operate below the API, your job will always be at risk of being automated away since that's almost always the path for software and technology and progress in that area. And of course, the API. The coder and his boss, both operating above the API, well, they're incentivized to continuously find better and faster ways to automate that process or eliminate it. And in many cases, the better and faster way is to get rid of the human doing that thing that the API is dictating. Not always, but in many cases. Amazon, to use them again, is figuring out that it's better to have robots picking orders than humans. Robots don't steal. They don't call in sick. They never complain. They don't need lunch breaks. They don't strike. They don't fight. They don't argue with their bosses. They don't go postal and shoot the place up. They don't need benefits. And they can be programmed to do almost anything. Now, how did Amazon come to that conclusion? Well, over time, and with the help of an API progressively getting better and better at optimizing the process. They're, they're learning, essentially. Now, a few weeks ago, I came across a blog by Arthur Mar uh, Mark Manson. And he was talking about this very thing. So I'm going to read to you the part of his blog. It was much longer than this, but I'm just, I just pulled out the part of the blog where he was talking about this topic. And then I'll ask a few questions at the end for you to ponder. So Mark Manson's blog starts this way. A few days ago, I was having a conversation with a friend about the many people we knew in our lives who seemed to be stagnant, i.e. not changing, not progressing, not accomplishing their goals. And the many people we knew who were not stagnant, i.e. moving up in the world, making things happen, reinventing themselves and their lives. And we asked each other, what was the difference between these two groups of people? What answer continued to pop up for me? Intense curiosity. The defining trait of progressing in the 21st century appears to be a driving curiosity about anything and everything. The 20th century did not reward curiosity. The traditional structure of schools, corporations, and the church didn't just deter open questioning and experimentation. They often feared it. Instead, they usually rewarded emulation. Any sort of innovation or experimentation was limited to a few people at the very top of the pyramid. Everyone else was expected to be a good worker bee. But the internet has inverted this. Today, it seems that it's the ones who fail to experiment to innovate or challenge preconceived notions who get left behind. Why? Because in the 21st century, any decision-making that is sufficiently repeatable or predictable will eventually get automated or outsourced. Okay, I'm going to read on. He, he continues on, but I want to stop here and just point out this particular phrase. I'm going to say it again. Because in the 21st century, any decision-making that is sufficiently repeatable or predictable, will eventually get automated or outsourced. We've got to remember this. All right, Mark Manson goes on to say, Peter Reinhardt called this phenomenon living below the API. An API is how software communicates with other software or with people. An Uber driver works below the API because his decisions at work are determined by software, not by himself. Journalists arguably live somewhat below the API because much of what they report on is driven by web traffic, data, and social media virality. 
Basically, the more algorithms and software determine your day-to-day decisions, the more you live below the API. What's worse is that the API is always rising, consuming more human endeavors as it goes. As technology progresses, so does its ability to micromanage every aspect of our lives for maximal efficiency. This efficiency benefits society as a whole, yet punishes those who fall under it with stagnant careers, repetitive entertainment, and soul-destroying jobs. Once under the API, our opportunities for growth and advancement shrivel up. Once robbed of the ability to make bold decisions, any chance to stand out or get ahead is likely gone. Similarly, once under the API, your interests and worldview will become cemented. As algorithms feed feed you information they know you agree with and entertainment they know you will enjoy. People who live under the API feel as though they are this wonderful, unique, hardworking individual. But the truth of the matter is that they are simply living out what the algorithms have already determined for them. The only way to stay above the API is to foster an intense curiosity, to take professional and personal risks, to habitually challenge preconceived notions, to lean into uncertainty and unpopular opinions, to challenge yourself with information you don't agree with, with entertainment that doesn't come naturally to you. In short, staying above the API requires a certain level of discomfort. And I don't simply mean the discomfort of working more hours or reading me, me more books. I mean the discomfort in the kind of hours and the kind of books. It's not a question of effort, but intent. You should feel a little bit contrarian. You should feel a little bit wrong. You should feel a little bit foolish. That's the only way to know that you're right. The only way to be on, and he's got air quotes around it, is to feel a little bit off. Again, quotes around it. The only way to stay ahead of the curve is to ditch the curve. End quotes. So here are the questions I'd like to leave you with, my friends. In what areas of your life can you see the demarcation between jobs being done above the API and which ones are being done below the API? And remember, it's fairly easy to see if what's being dictated or, or if what people are doing is being dictated to them by software or by the program interface, they're operating and living below the API. If it's the one creating the API or making the decisions on their own without the need for the software or the API, you're living above the API. That's the first question. Second question, how do you see the gap between above the line and below the line growing in your industry? Look at what's being dictated in the industry via software and APIs, and then look what is not, what choice you still have, and see if that gap is growing. And then number three, what can you do to stay above the API? Until next week, my friends, I'm out.